They found their sister's sneaker near a wooden fence. There was no note, visible sign of a struggle, or an accident. But a 10-year-old girl who lived a normal, happy life disappeared in August 1993 while on vacation at her grandparents' house in Sturbridge, Massachusetts, a bedroom community in a quiet, semi-rural neighborhood. On that horrible day, she and her baby brother took a short five-minute walk to see a litter of collie puppies play on a neighbor's property. Her brother returned home shortly afterward, leaving his sister alone. Then she was gone. No one saw what happened, or so it seems. Police accounts had narrowed down the timeline of when she was kidnapped to a vague just before noon and shortly after 12. Her remains were found on October 23, 1993, in a wooded area about nine miles away in Brimfield, Massachusetts. The medical examiner marked her death as a homicide. Any parent's initial reaction might be, how could this happen and so close to home and in a safe neighborhood? Who would do such a horrible thing? Okay, so before I tell you more, here is another close-to-home story. If I step outside my front door in Grafton, Massachusetts, I can walk to the gates of Fairview Cemetery in about 15 minutes. At the top of a hill is where Holly Peranian, the 10-year-old girl, rests. In my mind, this is serendipitously eerie. It calls out to me. But her story has never been fully told. Other podcasts and news articles only give us a sketch, not a portrait. All of them are incomplete. So, with the cooperation from Holly's family, I decided to tackle the story of what happened that day, just before noon and shortly after 12. I want to lay out in front of you what we know and don't know, as well as who are the persons of interest. My goal is not to solve the case, but to tell Holly's story to those who will listen, especially to that special someone who has information that could help investigators. Also, I want to tell the story of who Holly was and how this tragedy affected her family, which has never been told. One other thing, I'm not a crime reporter or a formally trained investigative journalist. I'm a former editor and general reporter from a small town newspaper willing to tell her story. I'm Richard Price, the host and creator of this podcast series. So, before we dive into the details, let me say that those who are sensitive to disturbing content should not tune in. There will be details about the abduction and murder of an innocent child, which is distressing to hear. This story could be harrowing and haunting to some, so please keep that in mind. Also, let's not lose sight that Holly was a victim, but so were her family members. To them, this is not another true crime caper on the internet. This is a story about someone they love. Holly lived in Grafton with her mother, Tina Harrington, in an apartment building. Tina is divorced from Holly's dad, Rick Peranian, and they share custody with Holly and her younger brother, Zach and Andy. Holly was smart, sassy, and strong-headed. She loved the water and swimming and dreamed of growing up to become a marine biologist. 
Holly was also self-reliant and responsible, who did her laundry and kept an eye on her brothers. She had thick blonde hair, brown eyes, and a bright smile with newly sprouted grown-up teeth. Holly also loved and looked up to her 13-year-old cousin, Leah Jolin. During the summer of 1993, Holly's last, the pair saw a lot of each other and went to summer camp together the week before she disappeared. If you're ready, let me take you to a lake late morning on August 5th, hours before Holly disappeared. Maybe Holly was still stinging over that boy who wouldn't dance with her during a summer party at Camp Marshall. But then again, maybe not. I mean, she was only 10. She was too young for summer romance, but just old enough to dip her toe in. Plus, that was so last week. This week, Holly was at her grandparents' lakeside home in Sturbridge, which her family also called camp. It was a Thursday, part of a string of hazy, hot, and humid days. That morning, Holly, her five-year-old brother Zach, eight-year-old brother Andy, and their dad Rick loaded in the boat for a swim on Quacumquasset Pond, commonly known as South Pond. Rick was using his vacation days to be with his kids. Later, before noon, they peeled out of their wetsuits into dry clothes. Holly put on a pair of jeans, a t-shirt, and sneakers. In a well-meaning effort to introduce a small amount of independence, her dad allowed Holly and Zach to walk the short distance to a farmhouse at the end of South Shore Drive, an unpaved road that ran perpendicular to the lake. Just before the end of the road is Gerard St. Jean's property, where an antique home built in 1815 sat on one and a half acres. The St. Jeans would regularly set out a new litter of collie puppies in a pen on the opposite side of a wooden border fence at the back end of their property near South Shore. Holly and her brother loved watching the dogs play. The day before, late afternoon, Holly and her siblings discovered the pups had broken free from their pen and were running around South Shore Drive. The kids rushed to scoop them up and bring them back in their cage and away from Allen Road, a paved street just 20 yards away. Holly's cousin, Leah, elaborated on what also happened at that moment. It was uh, early evening. I think they had just finished their, their dinner. And, of course, being kids, they knew the puppies were up there. They wanted to go see them again before bedtime. So they went and walked up there and... Um, the farm on the corner of Allen Road and South Shore Drive was had a wooden fence around the yard, but the puppies were in a pen further into the yard. And when they went up there that evening, the puppies had all gotten out of the pen. and had come down and come through the fence and had gotten out into um, South Shore Drive, which is a, a dirt road that runs off of Allen Road. So Holly, Andy, and Zach were trying to gather the puppies and you know get them out of the road back into the fence when a man in a truck pulled up and just kind of leaned out the window and was talking to them about the puppies and then went on his way. They don't remember what the man looked like or what the truck looked like or anything? No, not to my knowledge. I mean, I do I do recall um, that they were giving a description to the detective, but even I don't don't recall that specific detail anymore. Do you think it's relevant or do you think it's just coincidental? Uh, that's, you know, that's that's a good question. It's There's been so much rumor and speculation and innuendo. 
What happened next on the day Hawley disappeared begins to edge towards speculation based on two police narratives stitched together with slightly shifting timelines. When the kids arrived at the farmhouse edge, it was about 12.20 p.m., according to an initial narrative report filed by a Sturbridge officer, the first on the scene. But in another account, told decades later by a team of retired detectives and officers who worked on the Peranian case for years, they said a neighbor woman passing by in her car said she saw Holly and possibly Zach standing by the fence just before noon. It's not clear if the witness was driving on South Shore or was on Allen Road. The Sturbridge police report said Holly spooked her little brother by telling him, quote, the dogs were coming to get him, which could have been a tease by a girl who her cousin often described as sassy. Newspaper accounts at the time report that she might have said it to her brother while two full-grown collies roamed near the wooden fence. At around the same time, about 200 yards away on Allen Road, two teenage girls, who are also cousins, walked down their driveway to check the mailbox while their fathers were loading a boat near the house to prepare for a family vacation. Allen Road strikes a balance between suburban and rural living. A two-lane street, it's hilly and winding, with tall oaks, stone walls, and pine trees. Stretching north and south, it runs parallel to South Pond, with a mix of farms and suburban homes that sit on generous-sized lots. Aside from an occasional car crash or a squirrel getting run over, what could go wrong on this New England road? Before the girls reach the mailbox, a white or perhaps light brown pickup truck with a cap over its cargo bed was traveling north on Allen Road. According to the detective's story, when the driver approached the girls, he suddenly slowed from about 40 to walking speed. Behind the wheel, the girls said, sat a middle-aged white man with facial hair and a hat, allegedly staring at their bodies in a, quote, weird, lewd, menacing way. One girl later told the police she thought, quote, the man in the pickup was going to jump out and grab one of us. Frightened, both girls instinctively turned around and headed back up the driveway, where their fathers, the write-up said, were unaware of what just happened. The driver continued downhill on Allen Road towards South Shore Drive, where Holly waited for the dogs. The girls then went back to the mailbox. As they turned and began walking back toward the house, the pickup once again reappeared up the hill after turning somewhere close by. The investigators said they believe it could have been the edge of South Shore where Holly was standing. The driver slowed down again near the end of the driveway and, like before, allegedly stared weirdly at the girls' bodies. When the girls approached their fathers, the man continued up the hill and disappeared again. The investigator's narrative doesn't say if the girls told their fathers what happened at that moment. One of the cousins then allegedly ducked into the house to a second-floor bathroom. Creeped out, she looked out the window, which had a view of Allen Road. Later, she told investigators she was confident that she saw the same pickup and driver heading south, past her house a third time, and away from South Shore Drive where Holly was. 
This eyewitness said that this time, the pickup truck was accelerating and the driver was looking straight ahead and did not look up our driveway. Meanwhile, Zach returned home, tired of waiting for the dogs. He plopped himself on the floor with his toys near his dad, who was watching TV. Where's your sister, Rick asked. She's with the puppies, said Zach. Rick then sent both boys to bring her back for lunch. The four retired investigators then said that shortly after 12, a young man drove down Allen Road, heading to his parents' cottage for lunch with his mother. That house was near where the Peranian family was staying, and the man noticed, quote, the two young Peranian boys standing by the side of the dirt road near Allen Road, looking around. About 10 or 15 minutes after their father had sent them to find Holly, the boys returned with one of Holly's sneakers, which they found on the side of South Shore Drive near St. Jean's wooden border fence, about 20 yards from Allen Road. Andy held it up to his dad and said, Holly's been taken. Shocked, Rick immediately loaded both the boys in his Jeep and rushed to where Holly's sneaker was found. The girl was in trouble, never known to wander, go off on her own, or with a stranger, especially with only one shoe. Nor was she familiar with the area, since she lived in Grafton. Rick didn't see a tire track or burn out on the dirt road when he got to the spot. Finding no sign of Holly at the intersection with Allen Road, Rick searched at the St. Jean house. He then drove the paved and dirt roads in the immediate area. As panic set in, he and the boys then returned to their cottage and called 911. According to a redacted Sturbridge police report, an officer sped to South Shore Drive at 12.52 p.m. After Rick told the cop what he knew, the officer turned on his public address system in his cruiser and called out to Holly for about three minutes, but heard no response. The officer then radioed in for a canine search team. Within minutes after Rick's 911 call, Sturbridge Police and Massachusetts State Police cruisers arrived at the kidnapping scene and, shortly afterward, began a massive search of the neighborhood, lake, area houses, sheds, yards, and woodland. The search escalated to over 500 state and local police. Soon, TV and newspaper reporters arrived. Good evening. We are covering breaking news in As word got out, volunteers and Boy Scouts aided 500 officers as they scoured five to seven square miles of thick brush, swamps, and rocky terrain, according to then-Massachusetts State Police Colonel Charles Henderson. The search also included off-road vehicles and the state's entire force of 20 police dogs. State police and local dive teams also searched and dragged South Pond, the Boston Globe said. A state police helicopter assisted in a widening search that lasted several days without success. At some point, the FBI arrived. During the initial search, Rick Peranian was told to stay in the lake house so his scent wouldn't throw off the dogs. Holly's aunt, Carla Jackman, arrived on the scene as soon as she heard. It felt so surreal, she said. Tears rolled down my cheeks. My stomach felt nauseous. The next day, the family became more distraught, fearing that a kidnapper was holding her. Anyone that knows anything about Holly, please just let her go, pleaded Rick to the media as he choked back tears. 
We're begging anyone with any information if they could just let us know where she is. Holly's grandmother, Maureen Lemieux, contacted the producers of the Fox TV program, America's Most Wanted, which features missing children. By midday, Fox affiliates were running TV spots. Extended family huddled at the lake house. We felt so helpless, said Jackman. We were terrified. We cried and prayed. We asked the police questions. How long can she survive without water or food? Who could have done this? What can we do? At times, the parents would send the small children downstairs to the family room so they couldn't hear scary conversations. Gerard St. Jean, the owner of the small farm and the collie puppies, told the Boston Globe Holly and her brother came up to the property several times to admire the dogs, but always on the other side of the wooden fence. It doesn't look good, St. Jean told the Globe as he leaned against the fence and pointed to the ground where the sneaker was found. If the dogs could talk, I think they have a story to tell, he added, noting that he was not home at the time of the abduction. State police dogs first searched the area on the day she disappeared. St. Jean told the Globe they followed a scent on the dirt road portion of South Shore Drive to the paved section of Allen Road and then lost the scent. As we wrap up the first episode, I want to make a request. If you or someone you know has information, no matter how seemingly inconsequential, please contact the Hampton District Attorney's Office in Springfield, Massachusetts. The website is hamptonda.com. You may also call the Massachusetts State Police Detective Unit at 413-505-5946 or the State Police Unresolved Cases Unit at 855-627-6583. You can also text the word SOLVE to 274-637 from your cell phone. All this info, plus links, can also be found in the podcast episode description. Tune into the next episode where you'll meet Holly's cousin, Leah Jolin. She'll talk about their trip to summer camp the week before Holly's kidnapping and reveal more details about the case, her relationship with Holly, and how she's managing a second violent death that occurred years later. If you made it this far, you definitely don't want to miss this. Also, in future episodes, we'll want to talk about uh, the timeline that these detectives had drawn for us. It leaves a lot of questions, and we want to be able to pick this apart and uh, find out what we know and what we don't know. This episode was researched, written, and recorded by me, Richard Price. The sound engineer is Brad Pierce at Starfleet Audio. A special thanks to the Peranian family to make this podcast possible, and of course, to you, the listener.